Morning, Warden. Merry Christmas. I guess we can officially say that now, right? It's good to be in church today. Uh, I just wanted to bring greetings from uh, Pastor Connie. Uh, she's obviously a notal, notably absent here today. Uh, her sister uh, fell ill this past week and is in the hospital. And so uh, she traveled down to be with her sister and her family. She is improving. Uh, her life is not in any danger anymore from, from what we understand. Um, but I think it's a very good thing that Pastor Connie could be there with her family today. And uh, yeah, well also uh, regretfully would like to announce that uh, Fred Sherbinsky passed away on December the 14th. Uh, he was 80 years old. Uh, David Sherbinsky called me and informed me this week, uh, David's father. And I understand he's been a longtime member, or was a longtime member of WFDA, a Wardenful Gospel Assembly, as well as Bethel Park Camp. And so I just wanted to offer our condolences to you this morning. And again, I regret that if I'm the first one to tell you about this today, but we just want to keep you informed so you could pray for the family. Uh, the, I believe it's two sons and a daughter, and uh, also six grandchildren as well. And, uh, yeah, just uh, please keep them in your prayers, will you? Ashley, let's just take some time this morning. Let's pray for, for Pastor Connie's sister and pray for the Shrevinsky's family. Amen? Father, Lord, we love you. We understand that your word tells us that you are the God of all comfort. And so, Father, we trust that, Lord, whether in a hospital or hearing tragic news like this, Lord Jesus, we need your comfort. We need your presence. And uh, Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, David told me, Lord, that he spoke with his dad some years back and confirmed that he loved Jesus. And we thank you for that. And uh, we just pray, oh God, that you would be with Pastor Connie with her sister today, Lord Jesus. Oh God, that she would feel comfort, Lord, that we would see a miraculous healing, Lord, and that would be a testimony your power in her life, Lord Jesus. So, Father, we place all these things in your hands. And, uh, Lord, it seems like these things seem to happen around this season sometimes and can make it even more difficult for people in this Christmas season. So, anybody here today, oh God, experienced loss in any way, Lord, I bring that to you. And, Lord, we just pray that your peace Lord, that pass of all, passes all understanding, Lord Jesus, that we talked about last week, would guard their hearts today in Christ Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. It's always difficult to pass on difficult news, but it's a benefit to the body when we can pray. Amen. We agree together. There's power and agreement. I love church. It's not all of our relationship with God. It's just a small part of it, but man, it's an important part to come and worship together. And uh, thank you, worship team. It's such an amazing job uh, this morning. It's, um, yeah, we're very blessed. We're looking in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we started last week in, um, in Luke 2 as well. We're going to go back a little bit now. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to go back even a little farther in, in Luke. I started at the end of Luke talking about Simeon and Anna. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the shepherds. And next, uh, next Sunday evening at the candlelight service, we're going to talk about Jesus himself, the baby. 
And I've been just taking myself through this journey and, and, uh, and we theme, I've been kind of theming this season. Uh, the Christmas Eve service theme is going to be radically right here, but I've been just kind of praying that into my own life this season and saying, God, you know, show me afresh what it meant for you to come to this earth. Help me to, to walk in the shoes of the people of this nativity account, Lord Jesus, and, and help me to just, to just personalize it and make it more real in my life than it's ever been before. And so in preaching the Advent, again, Pastor Connie uh, preached an amazing message on hope, and I spoke on peace last week, and today we're going to speak about joy. And uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. And I'm just going to ask, why don't you stand with me this morning in honor of God's word as I read this word together. Amen? <laughs> Excuse me. Beginning at verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Father, I pray, O oh God, that you would open this word to us today, or that you give me clarity of thought and speech as I present your word, and that your Holy Spirit would be the primary communicator of it this morning. Lord, we just open our hearts to receive from you, allow ourselves to be changed today, O oh God, for having heard your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I love how G. Campbell Morgan describes this encounter. Just listen to what he says. He says, To them, uh, referring to the shepherds, to them came the angel message, and the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory shone around about them. These shepherds were filled with fear. So the introductory sentence was, Be not afraid, immediately followed by the declaration, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Hear that message of the angels in the world as it was. A world lacking joy. That had, heard, that had heard no good tidings for generations. That was afraid in its heart of the tyranny of oppression. The world bludgeoned into submission was filled with sadness and despair. Then tidings were told. When I think about... This passage, and I think about light and darkness, um, I kind of think about my backyard when we used to live in Sturgeon Falls. <laughs> uh, we used to live about eight kilometers north of the town, and we were in, in the bush. I mean, that's the best way to say it. I mean, I had moose run through our backyard, black bear, raccoons. There were groundhogs. We had a porcupine that lived on our back lawn for a week, which not allowed me not to let my three-year-old out because... She would think it's fuzzy and want to pet it. 
and a porcupine just might let her do that. So I didn't want that to happen. We had a lynx come through our backyard. We lived in the woods, okay? We were in the bush. But uh, I did enjoy it for our time there. And a lot of times, if, Carrie, if uh, my wife Carrie Ann was, was at an event or I was home by myself, uh, a lot of times before we had kids, I would go in the backyard. I know this is going to sound crazy, and I would, I would light a fire in our fire pit, but then I would turn off all the lights over our garage, all the lights in the house, and just sit in the darkness with just a fire. And I would stay there as long as I could because it would get a bit creepy after a while because there's trees all around my property. <laughs> and then you start hearing trees crack and stuff like that. But even in the winter, and you know, you get minus 35, sometimes I would go out in the pitch black uh, sometimes there would be moonlight, sometimes there wouldn't, and you would just listen to the trees snap in the cold. And I just, the darkness, it was so dark. So that, you know, there was times where I would joke with my, my wife that I used, I'd want to get a pelican and shoot the, the lamppost out on my neighbor, which was like 500 yards away. I would never do that. Just going to put it out there. Maybe my 13-year-old self would have, but my 30-plus-year-old self would never, just to make that clear. In case you're going to leave here saying that pastor shot at a light with a pellet gun. He told me in a sermon this morning. Please don't do that. <sighs> Got to be clear. It's video evidence now, right? So, But every now and again, the fire was the only thing that interrupted the darkness. And it was pretty cool. And I used to like it. I used to like to just, just sit there and just feel the warmth of just that, that singular light. Um. Before we go any further this morning, I just I, I want to take some time because we spoke about peace last week, and I think sometimes we use the word joy and peace interchangeably, and I just want to make a distinguishing uh, a distinguish between the two. So recapping from last week, the statement I made about peace was that peace, from a biblical point of view, can only be understood as the child king taking over the government of our lives. We took that from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, which I'll reference again a little later. Peace can be understood in two ways. First of all, we need to understand that peace can be understood internally and externally. Internally as a lasting, persistent feeling in the heart of an individual. This is the peace, I believe, that, that, that we need most. But externally is bringing agreement between two parties that were formerly at odds. Sometimes it's difficult to keep our, the peace in our house between our kids. Sometimes it's difficult to keep peace in, in schools between kids. Sometimes it's difficult to keep peace between countries. And so we are called to pray for peace, external peace between countries, between people. But I'm going to tell you this morning that you need internal peace. And that can only come if you allow Jesus Christ to take over the government of your life, to take over complete control of your life. Now, joy is really only understood internally, but manifests itself externally. Uh, joy is something uh, we also personally need to understand that we can experience eternally as well as peace. Uh, we have moments of joy that are, are from the wellspring of a transformed life. And then there are lots of things that bring happiness, but happiness is distinguishable from joy as well. Even though in society, a lot of times we, we interchange these words. Happiness is only external, temporary, and is attached to moments. Happiness is almost entirely objective. Even when we use the term happy life, we are really falling short of joy because when our life filled with happy moments finds its lull, what is left? 
I don't know. I, I, I just don't want the pressure to try to jump from moment to moment in life. And that if my, my life was all depending on the next happy moment, that seems like a lot of pressure to me. Seems like a lot of pressure to me. Society recognizes that this to be true, but so many people struggle to do an accurate diagnostic when trying to be happy. We often hear people uh, say stuff like, do whatever makes you happy, or as long as it makes you happy. And I don't disagree with those statements. I, I'm not the happiness police. I want you to be happy, trust me. I love doing happy things. I love happy celebrations, but we can do things that make us happy that can have disastrous effects long term. There's things that will make you happy momentarily that have disastrous effects long term. Now, I can list all the obvious ones for you, but we tend to list those in church regularly often. But even something as simple as uh, spending money frivolously because it's something that you want. For me, I, I kind of like to buy shoes. You may have noticed that I wear a lot of different pairs of shoes. It's kind of a fun thing for me to do. But I would never put my family in peril for the sake of shoes. And you're saying, how could you do that? Oh, it's possible. Did you know that there is one pair called Nike Brown X M&M Air Max 97 Shady Records sneaker that sells for $50,000? If you're wowing at that, hold on for a second. There is also a solid gold OVO 10, Air Jordan 10, a Drake and Jordan collaboration. The shoes weigh 50 pounds each and are made of 24 karat solid gold and they sell for $2 million. I don't think you'd want to wear solid gold shoes. I think it's probably more something you put on your manual, manual, uh, your mantle, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. And if you're going to put $2 million on your mantle, I don't know if that's a good idea either, really. Then there's... This is getting back to real shoes now. Real Game Warden Air Jordan 13 signed shoes that he wore in Game 2 of the 1998 NBA Finals. If, you're not, if you watched Jordan in the 90s, give me a shout out because he is the greatest. I don't want to hear no LeBron talk. I'm just going to put it out there. Jordan 13, 1998, Game 2 Finals. They sell, signed by Michael Jordan. They're a busted up pair of shoes now. The, the rubber on them is starting to, to disintegrate and everything. And they, they will sell, if they sold that market today, they would sell between 2 and $4 million. Now, first of all, I'd like to say I don't have the money to buy those shoes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not that kind of a crazy shoe collector that I got to go out and get like those kind of things. I, I just like nice shoes once in a while, but... I'm not going to buy shoes at the peril of my family. You know, you can go buy, and I'm going to tell you, when I went to Nashville, I did find a sweet pair of shoes. I got a great deal, even with the American Exchange. I still got a great deal, and I held them in my hand, and they brought me momentary happiness. They did. It was a moment of happiness that I greatly enjoyed. And, and I do, I do like putting on a pair of shoes that matches what I'm wearing. It's fun. It's a good thing. But you know what? A couple of days later, I forgot about those shoes. Those shoes are not bringing me joy. I go home and I look at my family, and my family brings me joy. My Jesus brings me joy. It brings me inter internal, eternal joy. 
There's different. There's a difference in these things. First of all, I, like I said, I can't afford any of these, but imagine I spend our rent money on shoes. Even if you did that, you may feel good in the moment doing it, you know. But that happiness is not going to last very long when you come home. And trust me, there'd be difficult times. And my wife would remind me that, yes, there would be difficult times if I ever did that. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> Lasting hurt would come. Yes, it would. Moments of happiness, even stacked up one upon another, do not bring the certainty. And it does not ensure lasting joy. I mean, I, could, I, thought, I went searching for examples, and I could literally read off hundreds of examples of people who tried to find joy through money and things and stuff and just found emptiness and darkness and, and no hope, really. I came across a blog from, actually, from Harvard.com. Uh, health.harvard.edu about how to find joy or at least peace in difficult times. And this is what they said. And I don't dislike this. I think this is pretty good. It says, joy and happiness are often used interchangeably. However, happiness technically refers to the pleasurable feelings or emotions that result from a situation, experience, or objects, whereas joy is a state of mind that can be found even in times of grief or uncertainty. Thus, we can work on cultivating joy independent of our circumstances. Winning the lottery may trigger short-term happiness. Spending time engaging meaningful activities may result in long-term joy. Again, this is not written by a Christian, but I think there's a lot of truth in there. I read this, and it's pretty accurate, but I don't think it goes quite far enough. And this is why I want to go back to Luke chapter 2 and read for you again uh, verse 10, which takes us the rest of the way by highlighting the essentials of a joy-filled life. And it says very simply, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. First thing we need to talk about is the good news. And you're... Like, okay, pastor, you're going to preach about the gospel on a Sunday morning. That's, that's new. It don't have to be new. It just has to be good for you. And I will preach the good news and the gospel every Sunday, every time I step on this pulpit, until God takes my life and brings me into eternity with him. And then I'll experience the good news firsthand and the results of it and the results of the joy that he's given me. Amen? But it's the good news. And if you look at Luke chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says this, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. This is the good news. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Let me borrow from G.K. G. Uh, Camel Morgan's words one more time. He speaks of the titles from this passage that is given the baby to be born in the city of David. And he first calls him Savior. It's a Savior. Savior now is someone confronting all the sin of the world with regal authority based upon redeeming power. The baby came to be a Savior. You cannot understand the good news unless you understand that you have sin in your heart. And the only way to deal with it came to earth in the form of a baby. And his name was Jesus. And 33 years later, he went to the cross. And it says that your sins were nailed to the cross. 
the day he died. And praise God, he rose again. Amen? That is the good news. You need to understand, first of all, in Christmas is that some, the Savior came. Someone confronting all the sin of the world with regal authority based on redeeming power. And then he's, the next title he uses Christ or Messiah. And, it says, and Messiah is someone confronting all the chaos of the world. And today, we need the Messiah. There's still quite a bit of chaos in the world. Back then, their chaos would have been described in the oppression of the Romans and, and other things that are going on. But the Savior, uh, Christ, is someone confronting the chaos of the world, the Messiah. And then he uses the term Lord. The one through all eternity and all ages. This is who was born in the manger that day. And Lord is the most important designation you need to understand today. Nothing about this sounds like the Messiah was bringing a temporary fix to me. It was a Savior that was coming. The Christ was coming. The Lord was coming. Nothing about that sounds temporary to me. He was not general. Um, <coughs> he was not a general who came to quell the oppression of the Romans and to bring momentary peace. He was the Savior. He was the Messiah. He was the Lord who was to save us from the universal, all-inclusive, pervasive issue of sin. If you want peace, if you want hope, and you want joy, and you want it internally in your life, you need to understand that you have sin in your heart that needs to be dealt with. He was Lord, which meant he was for all eternity. That he is overall the baby, the child king. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. And this is why it says that the good news will cause great joy. Great joy. I don't know about you, but I feel like joy, uh, the joy element of Christmas can easily get de-emphasized. If you are not sure after service today, go find a mall. I went to a mall yesterday and I... The mall is the stealer of your joy. I'm just saying, maybe it's just me. No, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the only person that, that is tempted to take my phone out. I, the malls are getting more complicated than me. I don't know. I'm tempted to take my phone out and use the walk feature on the GPS to find my way through the mall. I walked around in circles with, with Brooklyn yesterday trying to find a certain store, and I'm like, I think we went down every aisle. I'm like, I hate malls. Malls steal my joy at Christmas, I'm just saying. Not really, but you get it. Now let me be clear. Joy is not oblivion when it comes to hurt and the troubles we face. It's not something that's going to erase the hurt. It's not going to be something that's going to erase the troubles. It's not going to be something that's going to erase the busyness. It's not going to be something that's going to take circumstances away from you. Joy doesn't do any of that. I know this season can be hard for many because we remember those who have passed and particularly if there has been tragedy in our lives in this season. We sometimes want to be distracted from the season and just find a way through it. And my wife jokes around that I'm kind of a Grinch in our house a little bit. I love Christmas, trust me. But it's not a Grinch to just want it to start at December and end at the end of December. That's given a whole month. I mean, there's a lot of things we don't give a whole month to. I'm just kidding. But my wife jokes around with me about being a Grinch, and, but I do love Christmas. But I, I wish 
And I got to work very hard to make sure I find quiet moments in Christmas because that's when it becomes extremely meaningful to me. Which is why every Christmas we'll sit down around the, around the tree with our family and we're going to do that again this year with my parents. And uh, Brooklyn asked if she could read the Christmas story and we quiet ourselves before the chaos. And we read the Christmas story and we pray and we thank Jesus for coming. Because I want that to be the center of Christmas for my children. I want them to understand that this is where you find joy. I will never I will never diminish the hurt and the grief people feel, but why not in this season, instead of pushing the Christmas season to the side, refocus on the good news. Refocus on the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He is there to walk with you through whatever it is that is ceasing, is that is causing you hurt and misery. He didn't just come for a big victory and a celebration party that will blow up for a time and then be forgotten. I mean, think about it. He could have come. I mentioned this last week. He could have came, been a general, took out the Roman army, but then eventually, you know, the celebration of that would pass and there would be another power that would rise up and whatnot. And he could have done things differently. He is there to walk with you through whatever it is that is causing you hurt and misery. He didn't just come, like I said, for the big victory. He came to bring great, lasting, eternal joy. Great in the Greek here is the word megas, which obviously you can kind of get that the word mega probably came from. External In the external form, it, it refers to size, like in when it refers to Jonah's great fish, right? It's, it's, this is kind of the same word in Hebrew that they would use, but it also denotes a degree of intensity. And you can also use it to describe an intense, a great fear or great joy. It just means that God was meant to bring a joy in you that cannot be shaken, that cannot be moved, that cannot be, you know, twisted. Or, 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 and it shows up in the strangest times. I got to tell you that, unfortunately, like I have been by many uh, people when they took their last breath, and I'm going to tell you it's very different when you stand next to someone who knows Jesus and has the joy of the Lord in their heart versus someone who does not. Joy is still in that room. Listen to the prophetic messianic words of David in Psalm 16, verses 9 to 11. It says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. If you find yourself feeling grief, anger, hurt, sadness in this season, then I encourage you to remind yourself of the good news. Let it inspire and intensify the great joy spoken of by the angels in your life, by David some 700 to 1,000 years before by Isaiah in chapter 9, some 700 years before. And here we are, some 2,000 plus years later, still speaking of the joy that we feel in our hearts because the Savior came. We need to understand as well that we have an enemy. 
We used to sing a song when I was a kid. I'm not letting anybody steal my joy. I won't let the devil my mind employ. I have informed him that I'm not his toy. I'm not letting anybody steal my joy. A simple little song, but it's so true. I'm not going to let the enemy take over my mind. There's already somebody who runs the government of my mind. There's already somebody who I have given the government of my heart. There's already somebody I've, I've placed as the government over my family, over our church. I'm not letting the enemy come in. John 10, 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 16, 22, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and resurrection. And he says this, he says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. John 15, 9 to 11 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We like to read the first part and we focus on the part that if you want to remain in God's, you know, in God's love, then obey his commands. We focus on that. We hear that preached a lot. But we don't realize this verse 11 is so important. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is why we obey. This is why we remain in his love. Because that is where eternal joy is forevermore. If you feel your joy being challenged, if you find it hard to find joy in this season for whatever reason, Return to the gospel. Return to the good news. Let his incredible incarnation wow you and intensify your joy all over again. Luke 10, 2 verses 10 also reminds us that the gospel, his great joy, is for all people. It is for all people. Luke 2, 10, it says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It is for anyone and it is for everyone. And people say, no, I got too much to spare. I got too much going on. I got too much turmoil. I'm too big of a sinner. Can you imagine? We're all sinners. We all need Jesus. I don't know what your circumstances is. You may feel like you're so deep in depression that, you, that joy is not something that you would even add into your vocabulary. Well, I'm telling you today that Jesus has joy for you forevermore. It is for anyone, it's for everyone. Joy is the defining characteristic of a life changed by the gospel of Jesus. And yes, I know many people. I've struggled with depression in my own life, and I know other people who struggle with it, but I'm going to tell you, I know a lot of people who struggle with depression who still have joy pervading from their life because they have Jesus. Consider Zacchaeus for a moment in closing. What would you cause, what would cause someone who was already a social pariah 
to draw more attention to himself by climbing up a tree. Here's this guy who's already noticeably different because he's extremely short. He's a social pariah because he's a tax collector, which meant that he was betraying his own people and doing it for his own personal gain. You know, he would t- they would, the Romans would require him to pay a certain amount of tax. He was required to take a certain amount of tax on the people, but the tax collectors oftentimes would take way more than the Romans would ask them so that they could fatten their own wallets. And so he betrayed his own people by doing this. He, d- he wasn't considered anything, but the Romans still considered him to be dirt. He had no social standing. He was in a position where nobody would ever want to be his friends. So why would he draw more attention to himself and climb up in a tree and, so that he could see Jesus? Why would he go to such great lengths to go and to try and find Jesus? Why would he draw attention to himself when everybody around him hated him? He was a traitor to his own people. He wanted to see the Savior. He needed the Messiah. He needed Christ the Lord. And he, even he, who had never, you know, really committed to the idea of Messiah before, knew there was something different here. He just knew there was something eternal there. Knew that he could find what he wanted for all of his life in this person. And he, he did what needed to do to get there. He needed good news. He was lacking great joy. And, all, and that day he found out what Jesus was offering was for all the people, and it was even for him. Listen to how he was transformed. Luke 19 and 8 says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and I have cheated anybody out of anything I will pay it back four times the amount how do we know that he received the good news that they that caused great joy in his life we know it because that for the first time he felt like he belonged like he was wanted and we see him literally transfer the government of his life over to Jesus Christ you want to know If people have joy in their heart, they start to devalue things that the world and and society thinks is very important. You want to see if the joy of the Lord is in their hearts, then money begins to matter a little less. It's just the reality of it. Money was everything to Zacchaeus. He cheated. He burned all of his familial relationships, all of his, his, his nationality. He burned his relationships even with people that were in power over him in Romans. He had no friends. He had nobody. He burned it all for money. But when he saw Jesus, when he heard about Jesus, he knew that the thing that was missing from his life was joy. And he knew that the only way he could get it was if he could get his attention. And I love the fact, the part about this story that I like the most is not that Zacchaeus yelled out and said, Jesus, I'm over here. Hey, Jesus. No, Jesus approached him. And Jesus can approach you this morning as well. He came up and he says, come down out of there. I'm going to your home today. And I'm going to tell you all the religious people would have gasped. All the Romans would have been, what, really? 
Everybody else that were looking around would have been surprised. But today, you know what? We think that we got to go find joy. That we got to do something to earn our joy. That we got to, if we just change this a better life, if I can just get this bigger house, if I can just get this, you know, a better car, if I can get this better job, if I can live in this better neighborhood, if I can do this, if I can be part of this friend group, if I can just go to this school, if I can just do this, then everything will begin to fall into place and I would be happy. You know, I'd be able to live happy. And if you just put all your faith into all those things, you're going to still find out that there's something missing. Because it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 11, that there's eternity in the heart of every man. And when you were born, it began to speak to the one who created you. And it's calling you home. Zacchaeus transferred the government of his life over to Jesus that day. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, we sang it earlier. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will gladly take it. I'm telling you this morning. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Money and power was Zacchaeus' Lord to the point. But he found something better, something that lasts, something that's eternal. He found great joy through the good news, through the Savior, Christ the Lord, and realized it was for him, even him. I have often imagined how the light of the angelic messengers broke into the darkness that night. If you can imagine, I mentioned, you know, my backyard, I imagine it was as dark or darker out in the shepherd's fields. I can't imagine, you know, they weren't have been that far from Bethlehem. And I don't know how much of the glow of the city would have been. It's not like now. I mean, you can see Toronto from miles and miles north when you're driving down. You see the glow of the city. I can't imagine Bethlehem created that much glow with, with, with light from lamps and, and no electricity and all that stuff, right? And so just to get outside of the city a little bit, you would have felt darkness. Maybe they had a fire, maybe they had torches, but it would have still felt very dark if there was no moonlight. We know there was one great star in the sky. But I can imagine how it would have been when the angel messenger and assisted the, the glory of the Lord shone around them, what that would have been like when that light just pierced into that deep, deep, deep darkness. Can you imagine after they had received the message and experienced the radiance of the messenger then to have the light intensified by the heavenly host? I don't know what a heavenly host is. It could be a thousand, it could be 10,000 of angels, but can you imagine, you know, already by the one messenger you have, it says that the, the light shone around them. So he already lit up the whole area, but then all of a sudden the heavenly host filled. I can't even imagine that light breaking into that darkness. What it would have been like. There's no wonder it says that they were terrified. And all the heavenly hosts singing, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those his favor rests. Maybe today you are here and you need God's light to break into your darkness. And maybe you're here tonight and because of some tragedy that has happened to you around this season, 
We all feel it to some degree. My wife and I, when we were in Nashville, we, we stopped on November the 30th. We didn't do a whole lot. Seems like a lot of tragedies come that day in our life. And three very important people in our life passed away on that same day in recent years even. So we stopped and we quieted ourselves and just kind of took it easy that day. Maybe you're here today and you need God's light to break into your darkness. I don't know what the dark, how you would describe your own darkness. I don't know. But maybe in this season it gets heightened and you feel it. If so, go to or return to the one that the angels were proclaiming. Jesus is the good news. And that good news can cause great joy for you today. And you may be here and you feel like you don't deserve it, but I'm telling you, the word of God tells us for all the people. Thank you, Lord, that you died for me and you died for you. And I want to invite you on the journey that I've been, been on. I want you to imagine try to personalize this season as much as you possibly can. Imagine what it would have been like in the stable. Imagine what it would have been like on the hillside in that darkness when light broke in. Imagine even what it would have been like for Zacchaeus when joy broke into his world. Imagine what it would have been like for the woman who, who took her alabaster jar and broke it on Jesus' feet. And she came in with pure love and Simon on the other side of the table with pure with religion, pure religion, she came in with extravagant, pure love. Like, return to him. There is joy forevermore. And even if you do feel the darkness, he can walk with you through that darkness. Amen. Father, you're so good. Lord, we love you today. And I would say that there's moments, Lord, throughout the year that we would all say that our joy gets challenged. But Father, I pray that we would never feel absent of that joy. That we would realize that you are in complete control because we have turned the government of our life over to you. And so Father, let that joy be our defining characteristic. Lord, when people see us go through difficult times, and still do it, Lord, with joy in our hearts and love on our lips. Lord Jesus, it changes people. The good news changes people. And when it's lived out through the joy that's in our hearts, Lord, walking through difficult times, people see that and they want it and they'll climb a tree to see you if they have to. So Father, let us be that kind of light. Allow the light of your love and the light of your joy and the light of your peace and the light of your hope, oh God, to break into the darkness of those who need it this season, oh God. Use us in every way we possibly can and let it pervade our households. Lord, the enemy is prowling, seeking who he may devour, oh God, but we stand in your protection. We stand covered by the power of the Holy Spirit, sealed in the new covenant. And we thank you for that. In the name of
Jesus we pray. Amen. You know what? We're going to, I know the tone of the sermon, <laughs> but we're going to celebrate on the way out of here. Amen. And we're going to sing joy to the Lord. The Joy to, wow, I'm forgetting the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has enough joy. That's all right. I've only sang this song about 72,000 times in my life. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And uh, just join me in personalizing that for yourself this season. Amen? Let's just worship the God this morning and celebrate before we leave.